Hi, Rosa. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. I'm here with Rosa. It's been um it's been a long time coming, but she um we're we're busy. She's way more busy than me, but it was <laughs> we finally <laughs> we finally um have managed to uh to track her down and she's going to um she's gonna do this interview with me. I'm super excited about it. Um and I'd like to introduce uh Rosa Chang. FAIA is Principal and Director of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at Smith Group. She is also the founder of Equity by Design, EQXD, and 2018 past president of AIA San Francisco. Throughout the years, Rosa has led a variety of award-winning and internationally acclaimed projects while launching a national movement for equitable practice, just and inclusive design outcomes in the built environment with a focus on higher education, learning, and space resources for student success. Rosa has delivered continuing educational programs and thought leadership outreach featured in Architect Magazine, Metropolis, Wall Street Journal, TEDx Philadelphia, uh, South by Southwest, KQED, NPR, and oh, Con Canned Lion, Canned Lions in. Um, <laughs> In 2019, she was recognized as a Metropolis game changer. Wow. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's pretty impressive. It's, pretty bad. it's like, it's, it's even impressive to you, Rosa. <laughs> That's somebody else's bio. <laughs> So I know, you know, we're working from home and um, uh, how are you, how are you dealing with the whole working from home and, um, and COVID experience? I think it's been a roller coaster ride of sorts, right? And so I think the cognitive dissonance is that on a day-to-day -day level, it's actually quite normal and mundane, if you will, in terms of the routine of making breakfast. Uh, making sure the kids are, you know, on their virtual Zooms with their classes and uh, then going off to my own, you know, meetings on, you know, the internet and taking care of things virtually. Mm -hmm. But then there's all the outlier things that are happening that are quite catastrophic. And then hearing about them and watching it happen. And then also the reminders that when you do go out in the world, you know, you have to go buy food or supplies for home that kind of wake up of this is not normal and life is not as we knew it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, coming to acceptance of that, I think has been this year long journey of we're never going back to the way things were before. <laughs> right. So it's kind of this morning of that, even if we go back to something similar to it, um, I don't think we can remove the impact of 2020 and the trauma that it's had on us collectively and as individuals. Um, but it's also an opportunity, I think, in a good way yeah. Um, yeah. to say, what were we ignoring before? What were we complacent about? What were we taking for granted? Whether it's health or um, social justice assumptions mm -hmm. about, you know, equity, you know, or um, people getting a, a fair chance to succeed. and. Um, I think within that, there's been a reckoning of like empowerment as well, both in terms of the day-to-day -day work that I do as a higher ed studio leader for Smith Group in Northern California, but also kind of a resurgence and shift of what we're doing with equity by design. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I know it's, it's kind of like, you know, you, you think like, okay, we're, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And then sometimes like the, the realization of what we're doing, it's like, if you just start thinking too much about it, it's like, yes. it's just your head you get caught up spinning. Yes. Yeah. 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 All of these, like, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know, and this constant, you know, uh, stressor, you know, as far as, um, you know, just this, these, uh, this underlying stress of the, of the situation or, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my, I felt like my jaw was out of alignment. Oh yeah. Same. And I was like, I was like, why does my jaw feel like that? And then I talked to my daughter and she goes, oh yeah, because you're, you're grinding your teeth. 
Now, my daughter's yeah. always ground her teeth. She's always got, even when she was little, she used to grind it. But it's like, I never ground them like that. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she's doing it too. And so is her boyfriend, but yeah, it's that grind if you're at, you know, at night when, you know, when you're kind of like relaxing, but it's still going through and your mind and body are processing everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So is everybody um, working from home then at Smith Group or? Yes. Yeah. Uh, We do have site visits. Um, Been out to the site a couple of times and, you know, safety protocol, the PPE, everything. And all our contractor partners are very diligent in, you know, keeping up with that. And uh, it's, it's been good. I mean, there have been cases not, it, luckily within our studio um but you know within the job site right and so mm-hmm. when that happens there's like a notification chain and you know luckily that hasn't transcribed our team but at least they're very proactive about it in contact tracing and notification okay okay that's good that's good and then um uh you you um you found a place to get away recently? We're, oh, all, yes, we're all trying to get away to these isolated places. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, a retreat um, and trying to get back to like the roots, you know, so beyond just sustainability, um, thinking about resilience and given all that's happened to our, you know, neck of the woods in California, especially this year with the fires. Um, we have an we have an opportunity to um, you know purchase a property, but it's a farm, and that part of it is something that um, I think intentionally you know coming back to the land. I don't know if you've seen the documentary, The Biggest Little Farm, but that was an inspiration. Um, it's about a filmmaker and his wife who buy a defunct farm, and then within the course of seven years, they fix it up and they. Yeah, it's regenerative. It's not just an organic farm, but it's a regenerative farm where they've um, they all learned drink. about you know salvage the that you have to reinvest in the land. You have to yeah. put back into the land what you take out. Yeah, which is like this fascinating premise, right? It's not yeah. just farm the land, take out, take out, grow, and it's put back into the land, right? And yeah. yeah, kind of the traditional the traditional methods that they've used for years, but then you know, with agriculture being a as a business and trying to use yes. chemicals and everything to regenerate things instead of like doing the natural thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. <laughs> like, I bought these overalls. I used to wear overalls like when I was pregnant. I would wear, and then the little girl next door, right? She doesn't. They they just moved in probably, I don't know, less than two years ago. But she's just at that age where, you know, they'll just like ask or say what, you know, anything, right? So anyway, she sees me out there and she says, she says, why are you dressed like a farmer? <laughs> I was like, oh, I I don't. I, I said, you know, I used to wear them when I was younger, when I was pregnant. And now I, I said, you know, I did kinda, yeah, they they kind of came, they're kind of coming back into style. I said, so I, I bought another pair and she just like looks at me and she goes, you know, my little, uh, my little toy corduroy has those. And I said, oh yeah, corduroy, the teddy bear. And she looked at me like, how do you know about corduroy? <laughs> how does she know anything about that's right, always still kind of bring up these things, you know. It's it's that innocence when they're that age, you know, when they think that like nobody else knows anything about their world, you know. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it is just, you know, I mean, it's it's just so cute. But she like looked at me like, why would? How do you know about corduroy? You know. <laughs> and I said, oh, like the little bear with the green overalls, you know. And she just looks, and she still looks at me, and you know, and her mom is like. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the corduroy that you know, and then she just like what you know, she walks away. She's like, okay, and like she goes, we have to we have to get back to doing things, you know. That she walks off. <laughs> yeah, so, so okay. I mean, it, it is cute. It is cute. So um, so we're we're gonna go over the questions, and then we're gonna we're gonna treat everybody to the holiday gift list of some of some uh, 
yes, my gift ideas that we have for uh from the from the Archimoms and other and other women architects. Um, so Rosa, what are your first recollections of experiencing architecture? Ah, uh, yes, um, you're bringing me back. So I grew up in suburban New Jersey, and so uh, had a fascination with um, going through the model homes that were in our development. We ended up moving in. Um, as like one of the first groups into the neighborhood and they're still constructing homes. So a couple of us around the same age would go and, you know, play house in the model homes, right? Until we got kicked out by the realtors. (laughs) What are you kids doing in here? But I just remember like, I loved being in there. I loved imagining like living in the different style of homes, right? And walking through the construction sites of the, the newer, you know, sector of the neighborhood that was getting built and uh that was a fascinating time but that's what i thought architecture was there in a nutshell right it was the tract homes and uh, malls of america you know lived in uh, a area where there was predominantly lots of forest and either strip malls or you know the internal mall that we all know and love from our childhood and then my Aunt took me to, when I was 11, she took me to China to visit my grandparents with my brother. And that was the first time I'd been out of the country. And it was an amazing experience because we went all over the place in China. We went to see the Great Wall, uh, the Forbidden City. And um, they took us through the little neighborhoods at that time, which are mostly gone now, called Hutong. So courtyards and alleyways and these intricate networks and uh, my grandfather was amazing. And he explained to me that, you know, this is uh, the Forbidden City was like intentionally built for the emperor, but it's not just about the architecture. It's actually capturing a civilization. That's a time capsule, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like completely just blown away by that. And it was like this profound impact that, you know, somebody intentionally designed it and built it in a way that had this effect on how people lived and how people. Um, viewed, you know, politics and policy, right? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so at that point, I was telling everybody, I was like, I'm going to be an architect, you know, and <laughs> he explained to me what, you know, who designed it, right? So I was like, I'm going to yeah. be an architect. And my uncles are laughing at me. They're like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to do that. They, I hear they don't really get paid very well. And, uh, <laughs> they work long hours and low pay because they had friends who are architects. My uncle was a civil engineer. And so he knew a lot of architects, right? So he was just like, don't do it. Um, but then on top, I was really indignant. I was like, yeah, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be an architect. And then he said, the, the last straw was just, well, you're going to get married and have kids anyway. So what's the point? Why are you doing that? And I was so mad. I was like, I'm going to show you. You just watch. One day, <laughs> I was just going to do both. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'll do both. I'll show you. Right. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I didn't hear any, they didn't really say anything to me about like not being, you know, not being able to be an architect. I don't know if they, I mean, I was always kind of like driven like that. It got like, I would do what I was going to say I was going to do, you know, regard. And and it's funny because when I went back to, um, when I went back for my 20th high school reunion, you know, they kind of like looked to the valedictorian of our class. He was supposed to be an architect. He wanted to be. Oh, okay. And we had both been in the same drafting class. And then um, one of the guys that was in that drafting class uh, came up and he goes, he goes, see, so-and-so is a genetic engineer, you know, can you top that? And I said, no, I said, I wanted to be an architect and I'm an architect. He said he wanted to be an architect. And he's a genetic engineer. <laughs> I don't want to be a genetic engineer. (laughs) Wow. But they're like, well, you know, you said, you said that you were going to do what you were going to do. And I said, well, yeah, I I did say, but there wasn't anything about getting married or having kids in that. And then, you know, it's like people laugh because they're like, oh my gosh, you didn't want to get married. You didn't want to have kids. And you're like, you're married with like three kids. Yeah, that's how life goes sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. Um, and how old were you when you went to China? I was eleven. It was just amazing. And the the weird thing was, last winter I took my um, family back 
So uh, two daughters and my husband and his parents came with us and we actually made the pilgrimage to my grandfather's ancestral village, which is outside of Shanghai. And I didn't know this, but um, they had preserved like a historical preservation site, the Sheng family home, right? (laughs) Just like, I I thought, oh, it'll be this, you know, uh, preserved house, but it became a museum. And then there was like this uh, reading room that they had dedicated to my grandfather and it was modernized recently and they had just finished the project and then they had preserved like most of the house in the gardens in the back. I was just blown away because I had this, I guess, third world view of what it would look like. And it was anything other than that, the the way they restored it uh, to its original. Um, yeah. It looked like somebody could live there today. Right. And uh-huh. it was just amazing. And it, it kind of brought me back full circle to that time that, my grandfather was trying to inspire me because it was, I think, deeply part of um, his family roots and that kind of respect for, you know, design and how people live. Yeah. And that kind of yeah. lived on. Yeah. So yeah. Really cool. I think sometimes you just like, I, I didn't, I, you know, my great grandparents built a house where I grew up, but they didn't own the house when I oh, went okay. there. So, so I didn't even know that they had that house. And then, um, but it's funny because my grandmother and I would go by on the streetcar and I know that she pointed it out a couple of times, but it just totally went over, my head. <laughs> you know, as far as like yeah, her saying yeah. like, oh, that was her house because I had never realized that they had actually built it, you know? Oh, so okay. I just thought that it was another house because we kind of lived in a similar house, but it was much smaller. Got and it. you know yeah. the house is still it's still there today. You know, of course, other things have grown up, uh, you know, around it. But um, yeah. So I mean, it's nice to look. It's nice to look back. And I mean, and the person that bought the house, you know, they're a psychology professor, and they've been, you know, restoring it. You know, so it's oh, like cool. hopefully, yeah. So hopefully they, you know, they'll never tear it down and, and do anything. But yeah. So yeah. was that when I saw on Twitter when you had the red pants? Oh, yes. That's so that's right. a picture of you, right? Is that a picture of you? Yes. yes. Okay. That was at the ripe old age of 11. Yes. With okay. my red pants. Yes. Okay. Some things we'll never change. Yeah. <laughs> Do you wear red pants now? I have a lot of red pants now. I went through a, pa- a phase of no red pants whatsoever for at least 30 years. And then I saw somebody wearing red pants like, oh, that's it's cool again, right? I was kind of thinking like, oh, I was so geeky. I had these red pants when I was 11. Nobody wears red pants. And then there was a resurgence in the last, I'd say like five years, right? So I was like, it's legitimate. But then I bought like four pairs because I was so excited and afraid that they weren't going to make them ever again, right? (laughs) I just kept buying. Every time I saw red pants, I was like, well, you know, who knows when it's going to go out of style again. I might well stock up and get some more. So yes, I have four pairs of red pants. (laughs) I didn't know I didn't know that I don't think did I ever see you in red pants I've been wearing them well when we were when we started equity by design I was Mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a branding thing too because we picked orange as the color for the logo yeah and then so I did have a lot of orange clothing and when I'd go to speak at um, events and then when I but when I saw the red pants I was just like oh my gosh so then I started wearing the red pants to major speaking engagements and I just blew people away. I was like, okay, even if I don't feel confident, because this was another weird story. Like I used to be deathly afraid of speaking in public and they would never take me to interviews. And they told me, you know, like you can't advance because you can't get over this like nervousness hump. And then I practiced a lot. I like watch YouTube videos and all that and recorded myself. But then part of it also was this like holistic experience of like, well, I'm going to dress the part, even if I don't feel confident, I'm going to wear these amazing red pants and everybody's just going to believe that I'm awesome. Mm -hmm. And then, so I'll believe that I'm awesome because I'm wearing the red pants in (laughs) any weird psychotic sense whatsoever. No, I think it totally, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I like to, I like to dress It's like a suit of armor. Right. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I like to dress. It's something other than overalls, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) 
like say, I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to get dressed up and walk around in a suit, you know? And I still, when I have my planning commission meetings, I'm still yes. wearing a suit, like sitting in my dining room like, with the planning commission. Yo, nice. I said, yeah. I said, you know, gosh, I always wore a suit to the planning commission meetings. I said, I'm still going to wear them even virtually. I'm going to still wear a suit yes. sitting here for the sake. Sadly, nobody could see my red pants. <laughs> I'm not wearing them right now. <laughs> Well, we have to, oh my gosh, we have to stand up to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Of course, right. like, you can see everybody's watch. And, and the, head of the, the head of planning, like, keeps saying, like, yes, you have to stand up because the city council stands up. And we're like, oh, that's fine. But, you know, we're like, right, we're just, so you just see everything. Oh, good gosh. I don't and everybody else can too that tunes in, right? Because everybody, you right. know, the whole city or whoever, which I, you know, I, I don't know how many people are tuning in, but I doubt there are that many people that are tuning in. There hasn't been anybody that has wanted to speak, you know, during the things, you know, so. Yeah. 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 So I, I doubt, that, I doubt that there's even anybody watching. I think they just tell us that. <laughs> Okay. So um what are three classic buildings that you like and why? Oh gosh. Um it can be less or more, you know. Classic. <laughs> I mean not classic, like okay. classic, like maybe people would know. So it can be modern. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, no, Got it can it. be modern. Okay. It can be yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something that you, you would know our recent debacle with the go- the US government, right? <laughs> like classical. <laughs> No, no, I think classic, okay. like what you would learn in history, architectural history. That's what I mean by like classic, yes. classic. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I mentioned, uh, you know, my journey into learning about um, Chinese architecture. And I actually, my thesis was about going back to the roots and they never taught um, about Chinese architecture or Asian architecture in the five-year curriculum. So I found that my thesis as the chance to explore all that. So I went back to Taiwan for a couple of summers and um, you know, found a lot of research and books on that. So I have a proclivity to um, the, actually the connection of Asian architecture and Chinese architecture to modern architecture. Yeah. So that's one of my yeah. little finds. And um, even like it wasn't Le Corbusier that came up with the open plan. It was the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. It wasn't Elvis Presley. It wasn't Elvis Presley. It was, yeah. It was soul music, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, centuries ago. Centuries ago. Yeah. Before Corb. Um, and then I think when I went to Europe uh, for the study abroad program with Syracuse, I I was really uh, just connected with uh, Italian Renaissance architecture and all the different proportions. It was just beautiful, you know, natural, uh-huh. and it made you feel a certain way. And um, not to say that we're going to repeat that, but it's that essence of learning of like the materiality and, you know, what was it about the beauty of it? Mm-hmm. And it was in the natural materials and it, it was very simple actually it wasn't you know gaudy like painted stuff it wasn't like it was just the the material itself in proportion Mm -hmm. with its context and then on the modern side or more modern side or contemporary I would say um there is uh I don't know if you've heard of the Grace Farms uh project there's the pavilion right and so that kind of speaks to me. I haven't on, been there. Yeah. I haven't been there. Did you, oh, did you go? Yes, I, I yeah. went. My um, in-laws live really close by. So we oh. took the family on a road trip. I forced everybody to go with me. <laughs> everybody complained. As you should. As you um, should. On the way there. But when everybody got there, they were blown away, right? <laughs> so, um, but that kind of speaks to a connection back to the land and the light touch on the land. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's a special instance where there's a foundation there that could afford to do it, but it, it inspires me that we can have a light touch on the land mm-hmm. and still have beautiful architecture. Yeah. 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 Hope that yeah. <laughs> it's kind of no, broad. <laughs> you know, um, 
Rosa, so was was your grand is was it your grandfather? Yes. So was he is he famous? He was famous in China and okay. um in surprisingly in um France, in Paris, okay. and he actually got a um a medal from Francois Mitterrand um as kind of uh the it, uh, the Sino-Franco uh, relationships, if you will, where he studied French and he wrote um, a lot of literature, a, a couple of books in French. Mm-hmm. And then um, he also taught there uh, a few years you know, in a row and he went to school there. So he was actually part of, at that time, it was, uh, there was a lot of exchange going on between like silk breeding culture. So he brought that to France and then he in exchange he was learning you know the French language so it's it's a little quirky but it's like how did he get there and so when he was honored um in my senior year he was honored with a medal and from his university that he went to at this um it was in uh Montpellier and we traveled with him to go and witness like because I couldn't believe it right that I was like, what do you mean you studied in France, in Paris? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. And then I saw all his friends and uh, his students and uh, their memories of him and the things that they did. They had this movable feast, like in the spirit of Ernest Hemingway. And they would gather um, on a weekly basis and they would bring like a bottle of wine, you know, a couple loaves of bread cheese, whatever they had. And they would have these debates about politics and these like long-winded discussions. And they had these photos of him with the students back in the day. It was just amazing. So Mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate. And he did write a book about our family um, called My Mother. So it was dedicated to his mother, but it talked about um, up to my great-grandfather and then uh, down to like my my dad's generation. And my great grandfather was actually an opium addict. That was like totally crazy. <laughs> I read the book. Yeah, there were probably a lot of a lot of people. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh! Right. <laughs> I read the book last year. I was just, before our trip. Yeah, but it wasn't it a and book. It was opium at the time. Yeah, and I mean the opium Coca-Cola, wars. It was, but like Coca Cola. Oh yeah, it had right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so there were probably a lot of people's relatives. And he was, yeah, it was crazy because he was really smart. He was at university. And in the book, my grandfather described the fact that he sold his like answers to the exam for opium. And it was just like crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, a little bit of dark history there. Yeah. Into the closet. <laughs> Oh geez. <laughs> no, I I I think that I think that there's probably a lot of story. I know my grandmother would like tell these stories, right? Because they were she was born in 1905. So I mean when she was in her 20s, it was prohibition. So it's like they used to do a lot of like, you know, like yeah. And then it was just kind of weird about how like <laughs> like people families would send their daughters off to like go party at the universities to like you know for like the weekend and I'm like why would you why would you ever do that I mean it was because they wanted right because women weren't going to college but they wanted them to like go to to, very well yes (laughs) so so I mean so then she was like talking about how like oh I didn't know why like my friend kept on getting all these guys that were interested in me and then she was like oh I found out why you know because right Right. and it's like so people say that like oh that stuff doesn't happen or it didn't happen before I think it's been happening for a long time right you just didn't see it on social media (laughs) yes thank god but anyway Somebody had asked me, like, oh, did you ever wear did you ever wear uh sexy clothes? And I said, I I don't know. I said, I can't remember. And I said, I don't think I have any pictures of myself. (laughs) I said, so as far as I'm concerned, I probably I I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um so uh what do you like about being an architect? 
Oh, wow. Um, I think it's the broad knowledge base that we get exposed to and also uh, a certain resilience and persistence to not give up, right? So, and you don't realize it till later, but when they break you down and they build you back up again in architecture school, it is to teach you resilience, right? That you're going to get critiqued. Somebody's going to tell you your idea is not good enough. And it's devastating the first time you you hear that, you know, because you just want to do something so badly and you want it to be perfect. But one, we never really get to perfect and neither should that be the mark of our goal. But it's the process of getting to our aspiration of perfect. Yeah. Is yeah. the enjoyment. And so even like recently we did a bathroom renovation and it was the challenge of it, right? That was the exciting part. It wasn't, I mean, it looks nice, it's done, but it that isn't the the best part of the the outcome. It's the process, yeah. right? The problem solving and the at every turn there's like decisions to be made that mm-hmm. and potential mistakes. And then with the mistakes, there's the how do we fix it, right? The oops, like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but that's daily life that's our you know professional life right yeah and in that I think that is a great um, foundation for life at large um, Mm -hmm. that regular people don't necessarily get exposed to but we have that privilege um, to have that foundation of resilience like well yes life kind of sucks at certain points but let's pick right back up and let's not let it shape us yeah and yeah. yeah, let's define a new future, a different ending, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people said like, "Oh, how are you getting through this stuff?" And I said, "Well, it's just," I said, "It's it's like a it's like a design problem, right? Like you're yes. you're working, you know, it's like it's like you're given a problem, you're trying to like work out, but then like during you know, then certain things aren't working, so you have to like move things around, and then like during construction, or maybe things you know are going to be yes. too expensive, and you have to redesign it, you know." And I said, and then you end up with you know, with what, maybe not with what you wanted in the first place, but that's, you know, but, but this is like the kind of what, what you have at the, at the end, you know, so it's yes. like constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So Which that's what nice. I love about architecture Yeah, <laughs> or being an architect. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, you worked on the, um, didn't you work on the Apple building? Uh, yes. Yeah. So yeah. the first, um, Apple store in Soho with the all glass staircase. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing as an R&D project, you know, never been done before. Um, luckily got mentioned in the patent, uh, <laughs> had the foresight to say, you know what, nobody's ever going to believe me. So I better make sure I get my name on the patent. <laughs> Actually help write the, pat- patent. the patent application. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because I had to help write the patent application I, I was like, my name has to be on it. If you need my help writing it, that and they're like, okay, fine. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yes. So as far as Apple's yeah. patent, Apple's patent. Yeah, it was assigned yeah. all back to Apple, but at least okay. the credit was there, and they understood yeah. that part. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <clears throat> no, I mean yeah. that, it's like that's an iconic building as far as I'm concerned. You know, for yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had worked on uh, a couple more. And the last one I worked on was, um, I worked on five in total, but the last one was the GM Plaza, the cube. Uh, the first time around, it's on its like fourth iteration. <laughs> they keep, they think it's an iPhone. They keep trying to do like 2.0, 3.0. Like it's a building. It's not an iPhone. <laughs> you don't have to keep modernizing it. It was fine the way it was. Um, so that was a great experience. And I actually was pregnant at the time with um, my firstborn and uh, finished all the way up to, you know, CD set. And then as it was going through like most of construction, uh, I was on maternity leave. And then luckily when I got back, uh, I went to the store opening and I brought the family with me. So that was super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember. Good time. I think I remember that story, right? Because oh yes. he asked you to. He asked you to be there because you didn't want to go or something. Um, I did want to go, but I had my family with me, and there was only one seat. 
right? Okay. So actually, the irony is that my uh, boss at the time, Peter Bolin, was originally invited to go. I don't think I was intended to go uh, on the original invite, but then I think he was getting an honorary doctorate from Rensselaer that evening and he couldn't go. And so there was an empty spot. And at the same time, I was saying to Steve, like, well, I'm not going to be part of Apple projects anymore. You know, I've, I'm going to raise my kid and, you know, do something closer to home. Yeah. And he was like, oh, no, you can't leave. But OK, well, why don't you come to dinner? Right. So it was this really last minute thing. Um, but then he didn't expect me to we're say talking, I we're talking about jobs, by the way. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you know, everybody knows this crazy story. Um, <laughs> And yes, so Steve Jobs, and he, uh, he said that, you know, okay, but I only have one, this one spot. And he knew my family was there. He saw them walking around with me, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he wasn't giving, he wasn't being welcoming, you know, and saying, I'll change the reservation. And I said, I'm really sorry. I can't come. I'm sorry, but thank you. And then he was just floored because nobody says no to him, right? Nobody ever says no to him. (laughs) And he gets very focused. So I was surprised. I thought, Oh, I just missed a chance of a lifetime. And he came back again later in the day. This this was the store opening. So uh-huh. people were milling around. Everybody's, you know, observing, checking things out. What's who's going on? Who's who's in there? You know, there are celebrities. And then he walks up to me again. He's like, okay, I got a spot for your husband, but you're going to have to get a babysitter for your kid. Thinking it was, I was holding out because of my husband. And I was like, no, I'm, I couldn't tell him. I was like, I'm breastfeeding right now. <laughs> I'm not, I cannot. Right. So I said no again. And I was just like, you're so stupid. Who does that? Nobody does that. You would have figured, you know, something out. But then at the end of the day, he came back again and he was like, all right, the kid can come. And then this weird, like tough guy thing where he's, he said, oh, but if she poops or pees or cries, she's out of there, you know, like a threat. And I'm looking at him like, was that really an invitation? I can't tell. And this photographer actually took a photo at the time. I had a sense that somebody was taking a picture, but I didn't realize it was this photographer who, for, and he, he sold the photo to Time Magazine. And it ended up in a book post after Steve passed in a memorial about Steve. And somebody's like, do you know that you're, um, oh, Neil Pan, actually. Um, oh, okay. Like, okay. Your photo is in this Time Magazine article about Steve. And I said, no way, this is weird. <laughs> and of course, it was at that very exact moment where he asked me the last time. Uh-huh. And I'm like pausing, but there's this intense stare in his eyes. You can only see the side profile of my face. Uh-huh. So if you, if you know me, you know it's me. If you don't, it's like, oh, he's just talking to a, you know, a fan. <laughs> And that's what it said in, <laughs> in the time blurb. It was like, Steve talking to his fans. <laughs> it was hilarious. And oh Katie Cotton, who is his publicist, was uh-huh. literally biting her nails. If you look at the photo, I'll show it to you sometime. But she's okay. like biting her nails like, I changed the reservation twice. Yeah. Do not make me change the reservation again, lady. <laughs> You should have said like you should have said don't don't worry don't worry if the baby cries or you know I'll I'll just breastfeed her. Yes. <laughs> I think he was yeah, but she was the only child there in the in this um, now defunct but it was a Japanese restaurant with a soba master who like handmade his soba right spent all day making it kind of thing and he was he's vegan so everybody ate soba which is great and she was on her best behavior. And uh, it was hilarious. Everybody was just staring at her and not him. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, Your baby's so. cuter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe that's the real reason. That was the real reason he didn't want you. <laughs> right. No attention. Yeah. <laughs> no. He was great about it. He said at the end, he's like, you know what? she's really cool. She could come to dinner with us anytime as kind of like just affirmation of yeah, you know, yeah. who he really was. He was just a really generous man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great story. Um, 
<laughs> I job tracked, didn't I? <laughs> Pardon me? <laughs> I got job tracked, didn't I? <laughs> I so I have to put glasses back on to like read it because <laughs> I do I talk in tangents. I, I don't sorry. wear yeah, I don't wear glasses normally. I just wear meters for things. So then I have to take them off because everything's blurry. Okay, what would you like to say about the future of architecture? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't have to say everything. I yeah. default to my like current answer. It's that um, we've adopted JEDI, which is adding J to the beginning of equity, diversity, inclusion. And it's not related to Star Wars. It actually has um, the intention of championing justice first. And reminding people that justice has to come first um, in order to right the ship. And, you know, we've been talking about diversity and inclusion for a long time, but without the justice, we're just kind of, you know, treading water, if you will. We're not making any progress. We're not, mm -hmm. we're swimming the English Channel. We're not making any mileage. <laughs> so we need the J and then the E in order to get the D and the I. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're, Launch, we've launched um, Equity by Design has a series, a six-part series, and it's um, deep diving. Each time we meet in this workshop session, we're talking about the connection, the intersectional connections between social justice, health outcomes, climate change, and then how we practice. And I think if we're at this really nascent point right now where we have to change in order to survive and be relevant as a profession, even more so than, you know, pre 2020, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so we're trying to explore that. We don't know all the answers, but we have this um, intuition that we need to do more than just what we're doing now mm -hmm. or what we did before. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm hopeful. Um, a lot of people are excited. Um, everybody's curious. People want to know more and we're all growing together in it's not that the, there's one expert in it. Um, mm -hmm. I think before you see a lot of people touting themselves as experts, I'm expert at sustainability. I'm expert at whatever. It's like, well, we're not experts. We're, we're just here. We're curious and we're here to help facilitate the conversation that we all need to be having. Right? Yeah. 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 And I think it's good. You know, it's, I mean, in some things, right. We're, Right before it was like, oh, you know, when, you know, women can't work from home because they have to be in the office, you know, and yes. now it's like, okay, okay, I guess, you know, I guess we're past that, right, that we can work from home. <laughs> yes, can everybody can work from home. home. Yeah, everybody yes. can work from home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, but then also it's the, um, it's, it's also the, um, oh, what do we call the, the, uh, how women are tasked more with um, with the obligations of the household, the cultural so, norms. Yes, yes, yes. And so now we're, you know, now we're also having to, you know, work from home, but then also be there for our kids. I mean, even you know, I have college age kids, and it's like still, oh my gosh, they're in the house, and I have to like deal with them and deal with everything else. Yes, <laughs> and right, they. If, you know, having college age kids not being able to go out and do a lot of things and, you know, and interact is, is also a stressor on everything. And then, you know, having somebody with a, you know, health compromised, yes. you know, problem, and then, you know, not being able to take them or being very cautious about how you interact, you know, with, with people at, at work or out in the environment. So, right. so those things too, you know, and, and so much of that is goes, you know, goes to the, you know, so much of that pressure is put on, on the woman. So it's like, I like to see, you know, coming out of this, you know, not just that women can work from home, but also that they're, you know, that it doesn't become that we're also increasingly, you know, that, that the woman becomes the, the income that can you know, that can the disposable, yes, disposable income. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a catch 22. Um, because we devalue ourselves as the secondary breadwinner, even though it's the lesser more, more times than not, it's the lesser income, but it's still a valid and valuable contribution. Right. And 
I think we, when we undersell ourselves, that starts the ball rolling, you know, in perpetuity to never catching up. Right. And so I made the decision with my husband um, that we were going to pay for childcare and it was going to be expensive at the time. But in the end, I was going to keep my holistic value as a professional. You know, we're investing in me. And I wish that more people would see it that way is not that, well, in order to, um, you know, I have to pay a caregiver three quarters of my salary, you know, and that doesn't seem like it's worth it. But exponentially, your salary increases over time, right? As you're working, um, the, the years that you take off, you are behind, right? When you come back into the workforce and you never make that money back. Mm-hmm. And so I wish people would see that as like a holistic big picture. It's not just the here and now of the, the money you think that you're saving or, you know, that it, that it isn't worth it. Um, but in that bigger sense that you're preserving your holistic worth. Yeah. And then, and, and what, and what the person wants to do, you know, if they want to right. go, I mean, I like, I, you know, I always, I always had a project going, even, you know, I always had a project going because I didn't want to like totally not do anything, even though, you know, it is stressful to have your kids in the house and then also be working on things, you know, just like, I mean, I've been working from home, you know, for like 22 years, but it isn't isn't any easier, but, you know, also just the value, you know, of the value that you bring to the table and just being able, you know, to be with your children, you know, and say, okay, this is, you know, this is my work, you know, I mean, especially, you know, you know, not only just for your daughters, but for your sons to see that, you know, that you are of value and, and, you know, worthy of, um, you know, so much in our, you know, in our society. So it's, um, yes, I think we have to how women are um, perceived even also in the workplace because we ended up, typically taking on the roles that are seen as like housekeeping or the support tasks and not in the roles of leadership or deemed of value. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's taken a lot of time to, for me to debunk those things, but also to remind others, like, don't sell yourself short. Don't do the, all the busy work. Like it's not your job to do the busy work. It's your job to be part of, if you want to, to be part of the leadership. Yes. Yeah. 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 And exactly. I mean, I have, I have a friend that heads up a big firm and she never would take meeting notes. She would, she just would never do it because, you know, she said like, no, that's the job that they give to the woman in the room all the time, you know? And so she never did. Right. So she's heading up the firm, but I can remember like what, you know, what she said like years ago, you know? And I mean, no, I think as much as the AIA is is good with these certain things, you know, it's like there's a lot of women <laughs> that are in the AIA that we, you know, we tend to like take on these roles, you know, where we're doing a lot of work, you know, but that means that that work, you know, we're not able to like spend time on our own projects and our own work, you know, and yes. then that's money that we're like giving up from us. So we're like in this volunteer situation where, you know, we shouldn't, you know, it's like, you know, the thing is that the more that we volunteer, the less, right. The less that will, that our attributes will be seen because it's not money that they had to pay somebody to do that work. You know, it's just, we're just volunteering to do that. I think that's true, but we also should look at the opportunity for the um, volunteering, what it is, and making sure that, again, it's allowing us to be seen, right? Absolutely. If we're doing the volunteer work, it's not necessarily always the grunt work, and but it's the leadership of planning mm-hmm. a presentation or facilitating um, that ultimately more people will know us yeah. and we'll be able to network more with others. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a trade-off, right? Um, I would volunteer for things that I knew would end up leading to stronger connections with other people that I wanted to connect with. Yes. Or, you know, in this case, um, 
it was like a greater calling to lead a movement that we need to change our profession, right? And I think everybody has a similar feeling, um, but to kind of help catalyze that, I thought that's worth the investment of my time. Oh yeah, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh no, yeah, it's, yeah. it's catch 22 because I understand like, yeah. sometimes I feel like we volunteer and it's just like, is it all worth it, right? Sometimes I just feel like really frustrated with the whole process of volunteering and then people don't, and we raise money, like we volunteer our time and we raise money for this organization. And like how sometimes is the organization supporting us back? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we always have to ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then push on those things. I mean, I've like, I've, um, when I did the, uh, when I was chair of the uh, housing forum committee, I, I kept yes. saying, I kept on saying when, when we needed speakers, you know, I kept on saying like, I think we should go by the rules of equity by design. I think we should go by the rules of equity by design. And I just kept on saying, and they kept on bringing up, right. The mostly male committee was like bringing up speakers. And I said, I said, I think there need to be more women. And you know, and literally one person said, well, we have two. And I'm like, there's 16 speakers. There's 16 speakers. We have two. And we have two. We checked and the said, box. Right? I know, but it's like, it's like being on these committee and just like keep saying and saying and saying it. And it's Thank like, you no, for being we a champion. Yeah. Yeah, we need more speakers, you know? So then we, you know, we did get, um, uh, the speaker. Oh my gosh! Why am I not remembering her name? I can't. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking Annie Ting, but it's not Annie Ting. I mean, it's Anne Fujeron. Yes. <laughs> another great architect. But That's right. Like, yeah, yeah. And so we had Anne Fujeron, and we had Ingalil Walrus Ritter. Oh, and, very good. Yeah, yeah. So we had, you know, but it was like it was like making, you know, and. But literally, I would ask, like, I asked one person whose <laughs> whose wife is an architect. I said, I asked them. I said, "Well, do you know? Uh, do you know of anybody that we could ask to speak about?" And he goes, "Well, I don't. You know, I don't really. I don't. I don't know any women architects in that capacity or something." And I was like, "Wow!" Like he's, <laughs> I'm like, never. Like you've never met any women architects beside the one you're living with or like what what exactly (laughs) you know so I mean it's just where they say well I don't know any women that are you know that um for it was like as far as like designers like I don't know any women designers and I'm like really like any women designers I mean any at any point or we still have to think we still have to think about design you know I mean that was the thing that was like oh my gosh exactly and I was just like I was like what I said what do you what do you mean like you can't like we still have to think about design I'm like what you act like it's like they're well, there's the creativity bias, right? And it's yes, perpetuated exactly. yeah. by that type of thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, no, nobody meets the caliber of the men who are creative, right? Which yeah. is, right. yeah, perpetuated. Yeah. Yeah. Or even by the internet like, and everything else. Yeah. 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 Or any of like, oh, well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, right? Creative people, you know, it's like, they're mostly men because there's more testosterone. And I'm like, what? Like, what? <laughs> it's like, there's more testosterone. So it's like testosterone equals creativity or something. I mean, even all of the biological studies of like things like, oh, like what, what hand you are and oh, there's more men that are left-handed, you know? So it's like, okay, I'm left-handed. So what I'm like more masculine or something. And that's the reason why I'm allowed to be creative or you know, it's just, yeah, they're just all of those kind of um, preconceived notions. Preconceived notions. <laughs> <laughs> preconceived notions. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully, I'm, I'm positive. I mean, I've still always been positive about it. I mean, I think that, you know, things are so much further along than they were when, you know, when I was younger and had kids. I mean, you know, again, I mean, they kind of think like, oh, okay, you, you have kids, it's like you're, you're no longer um, relevant. Or I even, <laughs> I even said, I said it on context and clarity, actually, I had asked somebody, 
if they knew of someone who could do some drafting and, yes. and, you know, and the person gave me the names of like two men. And I said, well, do you know of any women? And he said, well, so <laughs> he said, I hope he doesn't listen to this. But anyway, he said, I hope, I hope, um, oh, oh, he said, oh, well, I knew an excellent person, but they just had a baby. And I said, could you give me their name, please? I said, I said, you know, I said, I went back to work. Uh, I wasn't working for um, the engineer that I had been working for. I worked for Gordon Polon, who does structural engineering in LA. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there was an architect that I'd worked for, you know, um, Ralph Metcher of Appleton. It was Appleton Metcher at that point. And so, you know, everybody mm-hmm. knew that I, you know, that I'd had a baby. But three weeks after I gave birth to her, he called me up and he said, okay, do you still, you know, so, so are you ready to go back to work? You know, because he had some consultant oh work. God. And, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, yeah, three weeks is like, you know, three weeks is really short. Like I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but you know, for me, I was so worried that if I said no, that people would not ask me anymore. You right. know? And I, yeah. And so, you know, I said yes and it was fine. And I'm glad that, you know, you know, people did realize that I was still going to be working after I had a baby. Right. Yes. You yes. Know? So, um, you know, We'll, we'll get there, right? We'll get there. <laughs> so, um, oh, is there anything else? That, oh, we're going to talk about the holiday items. Yeah, holiday yeah. gift Let's items. Talk about the holiday gift. Okay, okay. So we asked the um, we asked the mothers in architecture group and the other group um, if there were any. Um, holiday gift items that were made by architects or women that um, that they would recommend for the holiday gift list. So typically I have a holiday gift list and I try to put things on it that were designed by women or made by women, but it's really difficult to kind of find those things on the internet. I mean, there's like kind of, you know, I mean, obviously there's Itala glassware yes, that yes. has been designed by different women and, and, um, you know, there are those things, but, you know, these were kind of more kind of like the homegrown, which I kind of thought would be good for, you know, kind of the work from home. And so things that, you know, that women architects have made. And so, um, so one of them was yeah, the yeah. dovetail, was the dovetail workwear, right. And then we had rough and tumble design and these are all going to be, and then we had the, um, uh, Marilyn uh, Modinger's work, she has some merchandise out right now. And then um, uh, one of my friends, she actually did some, um, she designed a flag that was flown in uh, Rockefeller Center. And so they mm-hmm. sent back the flags that everybody could design for Rockefeller Center, but they sent her back the flags. And so she made scarves. And so she's selling these scarves, you know, and then, um, the Don Zuber has earrings, right? And then we've got a uh, Laura Teagarden's book, which is what is the name of that book? Like uh, it's an ABC architecture and ABC. Yeah. And then um, the Juno Jones boots. Did you did you get the Juno Jones boots? Did you buy those? Oh no, I have not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did it for the Kickstarter campaign, but I mean, I'm oh, okay. sure that we're going to get it at some point. Um, but one of the things, what was the woman that, uh, she had that amazing jewelry. What was her name? Michelle Acosta. Michelle Acosta, but did she do the... Um, Uh, it was the stainless steel jewelry oh that I don't know uh, I'll, I'll like Dawn's earrings yeah or Christy Christy Dutton's architect 
it's um oh, I got it. Oh, it's Folda Terry Moore. Terry Moore's okay. story line, which is Folda, and I mean they're they're amazing pieces. I mean, she has some really amazing pieces in there, which she um which I think she casts. I think they're stainless steel or um and silver. It was really nice. And then of course there was um Rachel Preston Prince's uh, Gate of New Mexico calendars. Oh, super cool. Yeah. And then um, Rhoda Miller, she was recommended by Michelle Costa, and that was the, bre- that was the breast milk jewelry. Yes. yes. Which is... They look like little pearls. <laughs> yes. <which> is- <laughs> and, and so... Um, you and I had talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but the, so the, so this breast milk jewelry, I mean, you have to see it because they were done because it's, it's, um, they're like Rosa said, they're like little pearls. And then, um, the breast milk's dried into a powder and then mixed with resin. And then one of them, it's also of the, they, she, combined like the two different birthstone colors of the kids and the breast milk into this into this jewelry and see and then I was also going to get a um my friend uh Carol Yu who she was married to uh George Yu who was an architect in um in Los Angeles and he designed the uh Um, this he designed stores for this one clothing line that and I'll put it in but anyway his his daughter Dara his a daughter uh Elena we were um with with Elena we had a we had an Arkhamom group when uh mother's group when you know years ago like 20 26 years ago in LA <laughs> so um so uh, Carol was there with her daughter Elena, who's the same age as my daughter, and she's um she's an artist and she works for a weaver that's like out in Joshua Tree, the weaver artist. But their their daughter Dara was actually one of the um, uh, Master Chef Junior. Oh, and so, yeah. So she was, and now she's at a you know at a culinary at the Culinary Institute in New York, but um. Her name is Dara Yu, and she has these amazing baked goods. They're gonna see if they can't put something together to uh to um to also put on this list that will kind of maybe be um you know something in memoriam to her to her dad or or something you know something like that. They're gonna work on that. For, so it's gonna be coming out coming out like the Thursday right on. Thanksgiving, the day before Black Friday. Apparently, Black Friday is now two weeks earlier or whatever. Like, it started this last Thursday. I didn't know that. Yeah, it started. I don't know, all the sales, right? They keep getting, like, closer and closer to, you know, to... uh, Halloween. 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 (laughs) Or August, right? Christmas in July. Exactly, July. Bring back Christmas in July. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I'll, um, I put it in the chat, but Aisha uh, Dunsmore Bay, uh, she has a uh, t-shirt line and she's a architect in Boston. Okay. So I put the her in there. Oh, and, and then yeah. the whale t-shirts from yes. Equity by Design. Yes, they're yes. back on sale if anybody's interested in resuscitating the energy of Eat the Whale. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? Oh, I, we're just going to hunker down. I think we originally thought we were going to um, get together with another close family friend of ours. and But mm-hmm. we were just like, you know what? The numbers are just going off the charts. Everybody's just <laughs> hunker down and stay safe and all will be well. We're doing Zoom Thanksgiving, actually, uh, with our East Coast relatives. And it'll be fun. 
Yeah. 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 Which they probably wouldn't come. Do they typically come out anyway? Do they come out for Thanksgiving? Oh, no. Um, We usually would stay out here for Thanksgiving and we'd have a tradition of going down to Monterey and going to the aquarium. And of course we can't do that this year. So we're just going to hunker down. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things is museums and, um, coffee houses that was like the hardest thing for me to do because I love to just be able to go and get away to the museum and kind of yes you know do it and um you know instead I just went away I mean I think a lot of people they're getting away to like national parks if they're going anywhere so I kind of and that's kind of what you know I went to Joshua Tree you know oh nice day in the you know so that was I mean that was kind of nice just to get away and in you know into nature I think we're also right we're kind of Definitely. Yeah. Coming, coming back, back to our roots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks for having well, me on. <laughs> pardon me? Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh yeah. No, thank you. Thanks for fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Michelle. Thank you. And we'll see you on the ether. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay safe. Thank you, you too.